Hey guys, thanks. It is so good to be with you. Uh, I've been praying for you guys for a long, long time, and I've got to come up several times and visit with the staff on different occasions. But this is actually the first service that I've been in uh, for your church. And what a privilege to be able to kick off this series on love, the summer of love. And today we're going to be talking about loving others. And you would expect for me to say, you ought to love others. All right, can we have a closing prayer? <laughs> we know that, don't we? We already knew that. But why do we struggle with that? Why do we struggle with loving other people? I would like for us to get really practical today and talk about what are the barriers that keep us from loving other people? And what does it really mean to do that? I think it, it begins with understanding what love really is. Of course, Jesus commanded that we love one another even as he loved us. But what does that really mean? Now, I'm going to be reaching for my glasses. This is this the first time that I have taught since I've had cataract surgery? And so I'm not real sure what I can see and I can't see. All right? So you bear with me here. If you look in Philippians, the second chapter, it'll be on the screen as well. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another more important than himself. Don't miss this. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Guys, that's what love is. Love is knowing and then choosing to meet the needs of someone else. Let me say that again. Love is knowing and then choosing to meet the needs of someone else. It's that practical. I know that doesn't sound very romantic. In fact, I think it's funny, the, the number of songs, there's more songs written about love than any other topic, and yet most of them do not talk about what the Bible talked about here. It talks about how I feel. And what, they're talk, what most love songs, by the way, is about is selfishness. When I'm with you, you make me feel good, all right? When I'm with you, I'm, I'm on a high, okay? Or it talks about the feelings. Love is not a feeling, my friends. Love is a choice. It's a choice to know, first of all, and then to meet someone else's need. Now, feelings are great, and feelings come along with that. That's value added. But if love is just a feeling, we're in trouble, friends, because as you know, feelings come and go, don't they? They do. And so many times, you know, I pastored a church in, outside of Dallas for 40 years before handing off the baton about two years ago. And during the early years, before we had Christian counselors on staff, I had to do some counseling. It's not really what I do best, but I had to do some counseling. And people would come to me, and they would talk to me. And usually when they came to me, they were ready to get a divorce. And I would say, why are you going to get a divorce? And, and they would look at me, and they would say, well, we just don't love each other anymore. Now, what they were saying is they were saying, we don't have the same feelings that we have toward each other as we did five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago when we stood up in front of a minister and all of our friends and family and said that till death do us part, which we were lying, by the way. And so what they're talking about is feelings. Now, see, if love is just a feeling, then we can not only fall in love, but we can also fall out of love. Have you heard that phrase? Of course you have. I, I fell in love. Like we were walking down the street one day, we weren't paying attention to where we were going. All of a sudden we fell in love. Like it's a hole in the ground and we couldn't get out of it. So we had to marry the person because we didn't have a choice. <laughs> is that what love is? Because if that's what love is, you can fall out of love just like you could fall into love. I've got a question here today. Now, it's not a quick question. If you only went to work when you felt like it, what would happen? This is, this is not brain surgery, friends. This is real simple. You'd lose your job. You'd lose your job. 
What if you only love in any relationship, whether it's marriage or your neighbor or your family or a, a, a co-worker, when you fell like it? You lose the relationship. Now, we know that about our job. We get up and we do it when we feel like it and when we don't feel like it. But we somehow think that in relationships it's different, and it's not. Love is a choice to know and then to meet someone else's need. You know, it's interesting. The Bible tells us to love our enemies. That's another reason we know it's not a feeling, right? It's a command that we're to love. And I also know this about the commands of Jesus. If he commands us to do something, we're able to do it. But many times what we do is we allow, we deify our emotions and we allow our emotions to determine our actions. And so we, we, we know that the Bible tells us to love our enemy. And so our enemy does something against us and we don't feel good toward, well, of course we don't feel good. They just did something terrible toward, toward us. And so we say, well, I tried to love them, but I can't love them. No, you can't feel good toward them. You're not commanded to feel good toward them. You're commanded to know and then to meet their needs, not necessarily their wants or even their requests or their position, but to meet their needs. I, I love what the scripture says when it says that we're to pray for our enemies, because sometimes that's all we can do with the enemy. We can't get any closer without, you know, hurting ourselves, but we can pray for them, not pray about our enemies, pray for our enemies. When was the last time you prayed that something good would happen to your enemy? That's loving your enemy. We're commanded to love, and love is not emotion. Love is a choice to know and then to meet someone else's need. I uh, will celebrate uh, in August of this summer 50 years of marriage. That's a cue for clap, for you to clap. Thank you. I should get more than that for 50 years. Do you know what I'm saying? It, uh, we've had this in our marriage just like you guys have had in your marriage. And there's days that you don't feel like it, and there's days that you feel like it. But those who have put in 40 years or 50 years or 60 years of marriage are the people who say, you know, I made a commitment to more than anybody else in this world, more than any other human being, to know and to meet this person's need. And I'm committed to do that. And I'll do it when I feel like it, and I do when I not feel like it. And there's two people in the marriage, and so if at least one person is keeping that commitment, the marriage keeps going. Until the person who is being obedient to God inspires the other person to have enough oomph to join in. And so first of all, it's about having a proper biblical understanding of love. The second of all is to have a healthy understanding of communication. Because see, communication is a gift that God has given us so that we can love each other. If love is to know and then to meet someone else's need, we have to be able to communicate. And many times we don't use communication to love one another, we use communication to manipulate one another. So what does healthy communication look like? Uh, if you have a Bible or an app of, a, uh, of your Bible, uh, you can look there in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, it says several things about healthy communication or biblical communication. It says, first of all, that it is clear. In verse 25 of that chapter, it says this. It says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbors, for we're members of one another. And so first of all, uh, when you have a need in your life, when you have uh, a conflict in your life, when there's a disconnect between you and the person in the office, in the neighborhood, in your home, the Bible says you need to be clear about that. that they can't love you unless you are clear about what your needs are or what you have a problem with. 
And many times this is where love breaks down. It breaks down at the point of communication. It says that we're to be clear in our communication. The second thing it says is that we're also to be calm. In that same chapter, verse 15, it says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. And so it needs to be clear, but it also needs to be calm. Now, here's what I know about this group this morning. I know that there's some of you who fall into the category who need to hear the word of God say, be clear. And there are others in this room in listening out on the patio and listening online who need to hear the part that says we're to do it in love or it needs to be calm. See, there are powders and there are shouters that are listening today. A powder gets upset, there's a disconnect or something, and they just start slamming things around. They're sending Morris codes in the kitchen with pots and pans. They're slamming the door. And when you ask a powder, is there anything wrong? They say, no, which is code for, of course there's something wrong. I'm communicating that there's something wrong. But I'm not about to tell you what's wrong because you might apologize and I'm not finished punishing you with my silence yet. So let's take a little poll here. At home, out on the patio, in the room. How many of you are powders? Would you raise your hand? Come on. Raise your hand. We're talking about lying next weekend. Now, on the other side of the equation, there are shouters. Now, let me quickly say, you don't have to raise your voice to be a shouter. I happen, confession time, I happen to be a shouter. And yet, I rarely raise my voice. But what I do is I get real intense. In fact, sometimes I whisper when I'm being intense. And I will tell you how stupid you are in outline form, all right, with proof text. How many of you are shouters when you are communicating the wrong way, all right? Okay, how many of you are switch hitters? You can go either way. Okay, these are, ta- these are talented people right here, okay? But they're not communicating, and they're not loving others because they're not telling others how to love them, and they're not communicating love to others, and they're not communicating in a loving way. Uh, we need to be clear, and we need to be calm. The Bible also says that we need to be current. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 of that same chapter, it says this, it says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Not, do not give the devil an opportunity, it says in the next verse. Uh, we need to be current, because here's what happens many times. Many times, especially those of us who are Christians, we know that we're supposed to love one another. And so whether, again, be in the neighborhood, in the office, in the home, what happens is somebody upsets us, somebody Uh, causes uh, a need not to be met in our life or they do something that scares us and this emotion starts to come up in us and we push it down because we're supposed to love each other. We think that love is not hate and love, the definition of love is not not hate. It's knowing and meeting someone else's need. But we just keep pushing this down and what happens is is that all those emotions are still there. And they build up, and they're toxin, and they're poison. They have a long shelf life. And then all of a sudden, something happens, and all of a sudden, it all comes out at one time. And we emotionally vomit on somebody. And what's terrible is they're standing there dripping in our emotional vomit is that many times they're not even the person that all those emotions are about. They just happen to be the one that hit the last one, the tipping point. And that's why it needs to be current. If something bothers you today... You need to have radical candor. You need to love people enough to have radical candor and pull them aside in in a quiet place by themselves at a time that they can listen to it. You need to speak clearly 
and calmly. I love it when somebody says, I know you didn't mean to do this. Whoa, where did that phrase come from? 1 Corinthians 13. Love always believes the best. No, you didn't mean to hurt my feelings when you did this. I know you didn't mean to leave me out. I know you didn't mean to injure me. But when you did this, it, it caused this problem. What do you think we ought to do about it? We invite people into a, a resolving of conflict so it doesn't build up and build up and build up. See, here's the thing about the buildup. If you allow it to build up and it all comes out, the emotion is real. The emotion is current. But we can't even remember the details of all the things that cause that emotion. So we can't even resolve all those things because we don't even remember all those things. We just allowed it to build up. Some of you have been in marriage for years and there's this undercurrent of anger and, and resentment and criticism. And it's because you haven't been current. We say, well, Steve, what if I haven't been current? Now, I've got all of that there. You know, how do I get current? Well, the Bible says that we forgive. And that's a hard thing to do because we think we're God and we think we have to teach people a lesson. Or we have to be judge and jury. But we don't. Because Christ has forgiven us, we can forgive others. And we can draw a line and say that this is not the last straw. This is the first straw. And I'm going to commit myself to sheer Again, in the neighborhood, in the office, uh, in relationships, extended relationships, uh, mother and father-in-law and, and mom and dad and, and brother and sister, I'm going to deal with it on a daily basis so that it's, everybody can handle that in the current situation. And then the Bible says it not only needs to be clear and calm and current, but it also says it needs to be constructive. Look there in verse 29. In verse 29 it says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it might give grace to those that hear. That means that we need to run all of our language to a sieve. And by the way, if you're in a relationship and there's a, a, there's a conflict or there's a history, history that's there that's emotionally charged, I think it's good to practice what you're going to say. In fact, I think it's good to slow down and write down what you're going to say and choose your words carefully so you don't do more harm. Do you realize that anger is not the first emotion? Do you realize that? It's not. It, fear is the first emotion. Our fear that we're not going to have our needs met, the fear that someone's taking advantage of us, the fear that somebody is not esteeming us in the way that they should. But fear is not a very comfortable emotion, so we hop over, we skip over to anger. If somebody comes and steals a, a, a water hose out of my garage, I don't want to walk out and say, I'm scared that I'm not going to be able to water. But instead, I, I shake my fist at them and I say, you dirty dog, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get that back, knock you. To, it's, we jump to anger because basically we look like a wimp if we express our fear. But I'm going I'm I'm to submit to you that all of our anger comes from fear. And, and when we are afraid we, uh, and move to anger, we begin to say some things to harm other people, to manipulate other people, to threaten other people. And basically what this thing is saying and constructive is that instead of being critical of someone, we need to provide solutions. We need it on the solution side of the relationship. And we can do that calmly and clearly in a current tense situation if it's not labeled with all the, or labored with all of that fear and therefore anger. Does that make sense? And that means we don't call names, we don't judge people, we don't, we don't uh, uh, put people in categories, we, uh, we don't use the words ought or should. What we do is we invite people into a conversation 
uh, to resolve the issue. And sometimes it's a compromise between our two positions. Sometimes it's a capitulation where I give over completely or they give over completely. Sometimes, very frankly, friends, it's agreeing to disagree in the relationship and not have to prove the other person wrong or punish the other person because they don't choose what we choose. And sometimes it's lovingly confronting and the other person realizes that they've crossed the line and it's about confession. And then it's about forgiveness. One of the reasons that I feel the freedom in my marriage to confess on a fairly regular basis is that when I hold up my hand and I say, it's me, nobody nails my hand to the wall. I don't get crucified. And if you create a grace place in your home, if you create a grace place at your workplace, if you create a great grace place with your neighbor, that's one of the values of this church, is enriching the neighborhood. Then what happens is people are more ready when you communicate in a clear, common, and current way to say, you know what, I blew it, I was wrong on that. Hey, forgiveness, grace, immediately. First of all, it's understanding what true love is. Second of all, it's about uh, communicating in a way that facilitates reconciliation and resolution. But finally, I think it's about expectations, about realistic expectations. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 19, it says that our God, it promises that our God will meet all of our needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. Now, where we get in trouble is when we start expecting any relationship to meet needs that it was never meant to meet. I'll say something about my wife. Marsha is a great wife. She really is. She's a terrible God. Okay? She really is. She's a terrible God. She will not meet all my needs according. She won't. But our God will. And what happens is, is that we start expecting people to do what only God can do. And that's where we get fearful when they don't cooperate, when they don't go to the parties we want to go to, when they don't tell us the things they want, uh, we want them to tell us, when they don't participate in the way or go along in our way. That's expectations. And as we live life, this is reality. Now, the gap between the two is what I call the expectation reality gap. That's how fearful you are or how angry you are. That's how depressed you are. That's how disappointed you are. Guys, I don't think we can handle that kind of gap. So we need to do a couple of things according to the Bible. First of all, we need to raise reality. And we raise reality by communicating in a clear, calm, current, and a constructive way with those people we do life with. Does that make sense? And not all the time, but some of the times they respond and they do what we feel like we need for them to do. Does that make sense? And the best chance for that to happen is when it's clear, calm, current, and constructive. Now listen to me. Even when you do it God's way, sometimes other people don't participate. That's okay. Because God promised that he will meet all of my needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. And he wants to do it, a lot of those things, through my wife. But even if she doesn't cooperate, he doesn't say, I'm going to meet all your needs as long as Marsha works with me on this one. He doesn't say that. He says, I'll meet your needs. I'd love for some of those to be met through Marsha. So communicate her in a way. Don't swing at her. She'll swing back. <laughs> you know? She'll duck. She'll deny her part of it. At best, she'll duck. But at worst, she'll swing. 
okay? And I want to meet those needs, but I'm not dependent upon Marsha meeting those needs. And if Marsha doesn't meet those needs, I will meet those needs in a legitimate, sometimes supernatural way. Here's what I found out. This is just a, a free thing on marriage. You didn't come for a marriage talk today, but free thing on marriage. If you're married to someone, it's been my experience that when you ask them to meet a need in your life, they're going to say no half of the time that they ought to say yes. And they're going to say no on the times when they should say no. I don't know if you've done the math yet on that. But that means that about you're going to get a yes about 25% of the time. Okay? Now, half the time she should say no or he should say no. The other half, they should say yes, but they don't. 25%. The other 25% that we should have a need met in our life when we communicate, God promises he's going to cover that gap. And so as we raise reality and as we have a more realistic expectation about what our spouse or our neighbor or our coworker should give to us, this becomes the gap now. Don't forget this. You can handle this. You can handle that much of a gap. You cannot handle this much of a gap. And you set yourself up for failure when you make your neighbor, your coworker, your boss, the people you, who work for you, your brother-in-law, your sister, anybody when you depend upon them to behave in a certain way for you to be happy. Paul and Silas are sitting at midnight in, in a jail in Philippi. Their backs have been beaten. They're naked. They don't know whether they're going to live or die. And they are singing praises to God. Perspective. It didn't turn out like they wanted it, but they knew that their God was bigger than the prison, bigger than their torture, bigger than their demise if it came. The Bible says that God took his mighty hand at midnight and just shook that prison and all the doors flew open. And all the prisoners walked out. Because God had made a promise that he would meet all their needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. Now every time Paul was in prison, God didn't swing the doors open. But Paul knew that he could. There are times in a situation where we are feeling like our needs are not being met and we can't even see, we cannot even see how God's going to meet our need in this thing. But those of us who walked with the Lord, we have a history with him, don't we? And he has been faithful, hasn't he? And we don't know how he's going to do it. It may just be supernatural that he gives us grace. Grace is not second best, by the way. Circumstances changing, we think, is the goal. No, the goal is our need being met. And he can meet that supernaturally in our hearts and our perspective, or he can actually change things. When we think about love, we think about the greatest example of love. And the greatest example of love, of course, is Jesus Christ. And we see him, first of all, living out the definition of love. He met our need. What's your greatest need? What's my greatest need? It's to be forgiven. To no longer have to drag my past behind me like a ball and chain. To be free then, not only to be free of my past, but have the power to live differently in the future. And to know that my future is secure, he met all of that when he died on the cross for us. 
And we see the cross all over. We see people wearing cross jewelry. We have people who have tattoos of crosses. Every time we see a cross, it ought to remind us that we have been loved. But it also ought to remind us that we are called to love because we have been loved. You can't give away what you haven't received. And some of you are struggling today because you've never received the love of God. And that's why it's so hard for you to love others. Because there's not someone pouring into you. You don't have a promise from God because you don't have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ that all of your needs will be met. What does it say? And I'll meet all of your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. That's where the riches are in the relationship with him. And so maybe that's what you need to do as you begin this new series together with us is to consider receiving love. And then all of a sudden, now you have the equipment, you have the power, you have the insight that the scripture shared with us this morning to love others like he loved us. He's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I guarantee you, for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before the cross, it was not an emotion. In fact, everything in his being said, I do not want to go to the cross. I do not want to meet these people's needs. It's going to cost too much. But not because he felt like it, but because he chose to know you before you were ever born and to meet your greatest need. He said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I will meet their needs. And then he communicated to us. You know, one of the, the names for Jesus is the word of God. Jesus Christ coming in flesh, living that life, laying his life down was the clear, calm, current, and constructive communication from God, an invitation into a relationship. And when we depend upon it, we have expectations on him and him alone to meet those needs, then we are free to love others, to know and meet their needs, to communicate clearly our needs and to find out what theirs are. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful thing called love. I thank you in the name of Jesus Christ that it's more than a feeling. It's so much more than a feeling. And I thank you that it's not about me. It's about others. And thank you for giving me everything that I need so that I can be free to worry about the needs of others. And that the more I give away, the more you give to me. And I become a channel of love. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.